Ah, this is the Sports Report. I'm your host, Matt Kreiser, alongside my co-host, Dan Dempster, broadcasting live on a beautiful Tuesday morning here in San Luis Obispo. It's nice to have some sun after the rainy weekend, huh, Dan? Yeah, you know, standing in that rain during the soccer game wasn't ideal, but, you know, we stick through for our sports, huh? Yeah, and... I wasn't able to be there that this weekend, but it was a beautiful finish by Christian Enriquez in the uh, 30th minute. And from there, the Mustangs kind of fell apart. Yeah, you know, that goal was amazing first off, just curving right over the goalie's head. But, you know, UCSB's strength and speed kind of seemed to set them apart for the rest of the game. Cal Poly started to kind of lag behind, didn't really seem like they were up to speed. And, you know, I yeah, think like he, just watching, yeah. at, like we're not soccer guys. We didn't play and train soccer, but just like as a fan watching to just look like, you know, UCSB had the speed advantage and had the athleticism advantage the whole way through. Yeah, you know, they just looked, if you just look at them standing up, they'd look way bigger, way more dominant. Um, you know, I know Cal Poly is a very young team, after losing so many great players. Yeah, whether and, it be Matt LaGrasa or Wade Hamilton and all those guys to the mm-hmm. MLS. But, you know, I think that definitely shows in the standings of this conference right now. You see Cal Poly at the bottom and UCSB near the top. So Yeah, and especially not getting any goals from Justin and really, like, giving up some really bad goals after the goal by Christian Enriquez, you know, not being able to clear it in the box there just three minutes following Christian's goal in the mm-hmm. 33rd, uh, Salamani Ahinga just finishing right there because they just wouldn't clear it. I mean, it it honestly looked, watching the highlights, it looked like my rec soccer game I played last night. And then the penalty again in the penalty area, um, just some a little too sloppy plays on defense, and that'll cost you, especially when you don't have the offensive pi- firepower we did the year before. <clears throat> yeah, you know, um, I'm not sure if fatigue played a part of that, just that defensive... Uh, sluggishness or uh, fatigue or maybe weather. You never know, but bottom line is Cal Poly didn't come out and to play. you were right behind the goal on the penalty. What do you think? You know, me and the rest of the Cal Poly fans <laughs> did not like the call in particular. Uh, looks like he kind of tripped on his own foot, but um, I wasn't really sure where the ref was to see that. So. Seriously, g- looking at the replays there, the ref was totally behind the play. And, I, you know, I'm a referee in water polo. And when I make those penalty calls, we have the same exact thing where the player on offense gets ahead, the ball's out in front, and the goalie's coming to take the ball. Same exact play as that happened in soccer here. The offensive player on UCSB was a little bit ahead of the Cal Poly defender. The goalie was coming out. The ball was right there. You didn't know if he was going to get to the ball. And... As a as a referee, you've got to be in position there to, because that's a game changing call. That was the decision in this match. So, I mean, as a referee, you can make the wrong call, but you got to be in the best position you can uh, to see the play. And that's what that's what my mentors refing have strained upon me as mm-hmm. I've you know started to ref bigger games. So, uh, of course, a sellout, eleven thousand seventy five, uh, matching the thirteenth largest regular season crowd. All nine of the most uh, attended soccer games in collegiate history have been in this rivalry, the blue-green rivalry. It was only our third time it since the rivalry began losing at home. So Wow, yeah. Pretty surprised. I didn't know that. I would have thought maybe we would have fallen a few more times for how many years it's been going on. But 
Uh, Cody Wakasa, big shout out to him after the he- the winning header last year. I think we got to give him a shout out. Uh, it was it was his 79th career appearance during the match. Uh, that matches the program record for games played uh, by a defender. So he's going to take that record in go. the next game. Uh, they're on the road on Wednesday at Sac State, and it's a must-win game. You know, we're in last place, and we have to build some momentum going into conference play. And conference play is going to be the only way we qualify for the tournament. Um, moving on, Cal Poly football, though, some good news. They didn't even punt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Uh, you know, with this offense, they're just controlling the ball pretty much the entire game if you want to read out that time of possession stat right yeah there, it was uh it. it was unbelievable it was 38 minutes 45 seconds to 21 15 and when that happens you know cal poly's running the the ball well i mean 462 rushing yards even almost 200 passing yards from dano graves mm-hmm. he looks good in all the highlights a couple of touchdown passes and we had Very three efficient. rushing three rushers of over 100 yards kyle yeah. lewis Corey garcia and joe prothero and it's good to see Joe back on the field after being mm-hmm. injured. Um, they all surpassed the 100-yard mark. And, you know, we're ranked in the top 20 now. Things are looking up for Cal Poly football, especially after last year. It's almost a role reversal with soccer where soccer was on that role last year, especially at the end of the season. And Cal Poly kind of fell apart after losing to Davis uh, this time last year and then fell on a three-game losing streak to close out the season. So it's good to see them rolling and having a strong season. Uh yeah, you know, a lot of people are pointing out that these are high-scoring ball games, and Cal Poly's defense might not be so good. But you know, if you're controlling the ball for 35 plus minutes, and you got um, Dano Graves throwing as efficiently as he is, and you got three plus rushers of 100 yards, it's gonna be hard to beat that team. And you know, looking on the bright side, they held um, Portland State to under 300 yards passing. That that's a lot of yards still, 275, but it is improvement. And Absolutely, yeah. and they looked good in those white uniforms. And me and Dan, mm-hmm. since, it was a, since it was an away game, we were watching the highlights, and honestly, I was saying to Dan, you know, it kind of it looked like almost arena football out there, how easily they were scoring on Portland State. Uh, I don't know Portland State's record this year, but they didn't look too good. So, I mean, that's that's kind of what's going on for Cal Poly sports. Um, I'm excited for, I'm still excited for soccer. You know, I've been a fan my four years, and it's good to see everyone show up and still support the team in the rain. I think I think the team, even though they're not doing so well this year, they've really earned that respect over how strong of a program they've been over the years here. Definitely. It's wonderful to still see a lot of people come out for those games. Mm-hmm. Even if Cal Poly's last in the Big West, even if Cal Poly, if, if even if it's raining, people are still coming out. I would, I want to see this. Yeah, for it football took you now. like, yeah, it took you like what twenty minutes oh, yeah. to get in. The I didn't line get was in crazy. Twentieth minute, had to move back and forth to different entrances to find a <laughs> spot to get in. But you know, I I kind of want to see a turnout at this Davis game this weekend for football. That would be you? nice, but I, I, it's something we really, it's, it's something we have to build on. Yeah, it, it is. It takes time and it takes a rivalry. And we talked about that last week. Right. It, it takes something like a rival like UCSB that's going to draw us out there. You know, you're not going to see any UC Davis killed Harambe <laughs> uh, signs at the homecoming game this weekend. There's just not that blood rivalry that we have with UCSB. Yep. Completely agree. 
So, you know, now Cal Poly uh, in football has climbed up to number 17 slash 18 in the two uh, polls. Um, and they are playing Davis on Saturday homecoming and the men's soccer team will be away um, on Saturday night. If you want to catch that, you can watch that on Fox Prime Ticket. Uh, should be a near sold out crowd in UC Santa Barbara, especially with the strength of the Santa Barbara team this year who is leading the Big West and is still undefeated in the conference. So... I want to get into this football stuff because I just, I can't, I can't quite wrap my head around, you know, what's going on in the NCAs and what's going on in the NFL. I feel like it's just a little bit, a little bit bipolar. You know, you see the Steelers blow out and, you know, they have the get blown out and the week before they're blowing people out. And then you see teams like, you know, in college we had, We had Clemson, you know, who looked so strong the week before, had that great matchup against Louisville a few weeks ago, and then they're needing missed field goals to squeak by NC State. Yeah, you know, Clemson always seems to have that one game of the season where they don't look like a top-four team, and whatever they do, they always seem to come back from it and get into that ACC championship game, and all the good opponents in the ACC— you're looking at Clemson and Florida State. They're in that same uh, division in that conference. So Clemson, they don't have too tough of a schedule looking ahead. Um, they're going to have to play probably what looks like UNC, a great team in North, North Carolina later who, um, you know, but Clemson yeah, my- just, just mm-hmm. has to – play more consistently and yeah my thing is like if you look at if you look at uh ohio state and you look at clemson i think it was a big growing week for ohio state because jt barrett he struggled so much but then he finished with that seven yard touchdown pass in overtime and then ohio state picked off wisconsin on the first play there and looking i remember reading the report after the game and um, Urban Meyer just talked about how much he trusted JT Barrett in that game, even despite the challenges. And I just don't, I'm not sure that I'm still not convinced in Clemson with Deshaun Watson. You know, he was a, he was a Heisman candidate at the start of the year. He's the favorite. And he's had these games where it's just, it's just less than stellar. And I mean, he was stellar this week, 378 yards, two TDs. I mean, he's still, he still put up a lot of offense, but there's there's still some question marks in my mind with Deshaun. Yeah, I think that's why you saw Ohio State leapfrog into that number two position this weekend. They went on the road uh, against a good Wisconsin team, and they won in overtime, a really good game in overtime. And that's what's going to – even uh, Clemson with their close win against NC State, those two wins are uh, wins that really help you, fo- help you going forward, build your trust, knowing that if you're in a tough – position in a ball game you can still come out and win that game i think that's big for both of these teams confidence especially ohio states just going in and beating wisconsin that's gonna help them greatly leading into their game against michigan we talked about last week all these kind of lower lower ranked undefeated teams they stayed undefeated which for me as a college football fan i like to see that i like to see the tension build up later into the season Mm -hmm. baylor still undefeated Nebraska and Nebraska is going to be heading into clashes. Uh, I think they've got they've got Michigan or Ohio State later on in the year, and uh, it's just good to see Texas A&M in the SEC. So you've got two teams in the SEC undefeated. 
and then Washington's still in there. Like, I like to see all these undefeated teams. I like to see all the pressure build up until something has to give later in the season. Oh, yeah, it's always super fun. Just November is one of the best months for college football. And, you know, you got matchups heading in. You got Nebraska two straight weekends. They're on the road against Wisconsin and Ohio State. After, right, that's what I was Yeah, that's what yeah, I was trying to remember. Following this, um, a game against Purdue this next weekend, which shouldn't be too much of a problem for them. But, you know, Nebraska, hey, look at them. They're leading their uh, part of the Big Ten. Um, yeah, you know. and the team that's done, the team that, to me, we can write off, the only team really from this week is Miami. Two bad losses in two weeks after starting the season 4-0. And I've always been a little bit of a fair weather Miami fan ever since the uh, lateral that shouldn't have been last year. <laughs> I've been a, I've been uh, a little bit of a fair weather Miami fan, but um, that's it for them. I mean, two losses. You have Louisville. You have Florida State. You have Clemson. <laughs> There's too much firepower there. It's uh, over for it's them. Gonna, it's going to be hard for them to even you know get to six wins. It, it won't be an easy rest of the season for them. Absolutely not. So NFL, I my thing is this 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 uncertainty, this this bi, bi not bipolar. I don't want to use that word, but this it's one week these teams are putting up thirty five, and the next weekend they're putting up two. It's and then it's the Broncos. You know, I was thinking of starting that. Chargers defense if Trevor Simeon didn't start because Trevor's looked so good this season um but then when I heard it was going to be Trevor instead of Paxton Lynch I I held off because I said you know Trevor Trevor's played so well this year um he's really he really led the team to that undefeated mark until along with the defense until he got hurt and Paxton had to fill in but then that wasn't the case at all. I should have played that Chargers defense. And the Chargers, to me, have been that team this entire season that's had talent but blown it. And they mm-hmm. almost found a way to blow it on Thursday they if did. you watch the game. Yes. But <laughs> giving up the onside kick, but they held on for that 21-13 win. Um, I don't know. Like, where outside of the top five, you know, I feel like there's a lot of uncertainty in where the NFL stands right now. Yeah. The Broncos, I just want to note with the Broncos you look at Trevor Simeon's line he threw the ball 50 times 50 times you don't yeah you don't see that with the NFL and you also don't see it with a guy like Trevor Simeon you might see it with a Peyton Manning you might see it with uh Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees even but you don't see it with Trevor Simeon and this Broncos offense, I no. think they kind of went away from the rushing attack with C.J. Anderson. And C.J. never got going. Even that That's amazing true. run, zigzagging touchdown right. run he had at the end of the game, he just, and that got called back with holding, mm-hmm. and I was grateful because I was playing him <laughs> in fantasy, but yeah. I Yeah, I think the Broncos, looking forward, their uh, number one problem is how can they get uh, C.J. Anderson and Devontae Booker both running the ball effectively most definitely so yeah and then that just keeps going like me and dan kind of made a little power rankings and we feel good about maybe like five teams maybe four maybe you know we had we have patriots at one spot and i think we're comfortable with that especially with gronk Mm -hmm. healthy he looked unstoppable um tom 
unstoppable. As always. And they just they just routed the Bengals. The Bengals were hanging in there and they couldn't hang with them. Patriots 35, Bengals 17. And then you have Vikings. You know, we just had to put the Patriots up top because of their history. But Vikings, you know, on the bye, still look mm-hmm. great. Um, and then Cowboys with the impressive win over Green Bay. They're they're a team that I think we can start to trust now. I completely agree. It's you know it's going to be the huge question we're talking about with the Cowboys is once Tony Romo returns, what are they going to do? Are they going to go back with the experience with Tony or let uh, rookie Dak Prescott uh, control the reins further? They look so good with Dak. Dak keeps putting up. You know he threw his first INT this uh, this Sunday. Yeah, but he but had three scores, so it's okay. He's he started to throw the scores. ball. He started to throw the ball down the field. And when you got Zeke Elliott running for shoot so many yards, it's it they're nearly unstoppable. Yeah, on and offense. when and when a when a running a rookie running back and a rookie quarterback are one of the maybe four or five sure things in the NFL, you know it's it's a pretty uncertain season. <laughs> yeah, and you know that's providing a lot of energy for this Dallas Cowboys team, which. Frankly, I don't think they've really had in a long time. You maybe maybe you look at when Des Bryant first joined the Cowboys. Yeah, and and now the question is they have the bye and who's going to play Romo or Dak? I've I've heard I've heard a lot of people on the with going with Dak now. And Jerry Jones, you know, asked after the game if Romo would return as the starter if he was ready, he would say I wouldn't say this is what Jones had to say. He said, I wouldn't say unequivocally anything other than we just beat the Green Bay Packers in Green Bay. Yeah, he, you know, he doesn't want to <laughs> put either quarterback on the spot, and, you know, they're going to play it by ear, I think. And it's also not Jerry Jones's decision to make. It's Jason Garrett's. Oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> I, oh. <laughs> From the one owner who's also a GM of his team, and it's Jerry Jones who runs coaches out of town. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry Jones needs to take a step back. I think it, let, let Jason, Jason Garrett, Garrett let Jason coach. Garrett makes it make the coaching decisions. So it, yeah, yeah, and then and then we have Seahawks at four and Falcons at five. I think it's a respectable loss for Falcons on the road. And Seahawks are still a really grindy team. Yeah, you, you almost know. feel like they're in a wrestling match every week. Like like it just feels like a different. I'm watching a lot of these games on Red Zone, and it's it's offense, 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 and then. I red zone comes over to the Seahawks and it's like, Oh, pound the ball, pound the ball. Russell Wilson, almost getting sacked. Find somebody on a broken play defense. Oh, hard tackle. Like, don't you feel like it's almost like a, it's just a wrestling match with Seattle out there. Every week I've watched them. Seattle has always been kind of that team known for its defense. And I feel like this year you kind of see them rely on it a little more and they're Kind of scrapping out wins. A lot of scrappiness. Yeah, this they're year. scrapping out uh, plays with that offense. You know, I think I still think Russell Wilson's a great quarterback, great decision maker. Definitely, and definitely able to make something out of broken plays. Uh, I I would hope to see a little more consistency with them. You know. Yeah, and the but, thing with them is you have to by the time of playoffs you have to start getting hot and you start to have having rhythm, and yeah. they're not a team that yet has rhythm. But they constantly are finding a way to win, so there's still something we can trust. Oh yeah, I think Russell's still got a lot of talent, talent around him with uh, you know Doug Baldwin on the edge, and Jimmy Graham is coming back. Yeah, that's exciting. Steadily to see. improving. I like that. You know, eighty something yards this weekend, no touchdown, but he's still coming back up there. I think he 
Russell right. Wilson's got a lot of weapons. I think that running game needs to come around for him, though. Yeah, they have Christine Michael in there, and Thomas Rawls will come back. Dude, they, they have some depth. They have good running backs. They just, I think, need to figure out how to use them. Yeah, and I think maybe the most imp- the entertaining part of that game was, you know, Julio's battle with Richard and Richard mm. getting Richard Sherman getting all upset on the sideline. So, but we were saying before the show, like outside of this top five: Patriots, Vikings, Cowboys, Seahawks, Falcons. Where's the consistency? Uh, you have Eagles, who everyone was super high on, three and zero, crush the Steelers, go on the bye, come back, don't look good at all, lose to the Redskins. Yeah. Redskins are on a four game winning streak. We have them at number ten. And then so Eagles at six, Green Bay seven. Green Bay looked terrible, especially on offense. Aaron Rodgers throwing to safeties didn't look like himself at all. Pittsburgh at eight, maybe too generous, maybe too maybe, generous. But, but we also wanted to keep in mind, you know, Ben ha- played the second half with a torn meniscus, and they're a team that, you know, feels itself on offense, and then the defense gets a little hyped and maybe can, right. can hold its own. And then Raiders at nine too. So all these other teams we have in the top ten. They're all losers, and then losers this week, and then Redskins at 10, and then we had Bills at 11, kind of not sure with that. Those are two teams on four-game winning streaks, but they're also teams that don't really—we are not sold on their franchise quarterbacks, mm-hmm. and we're definitely not sold on, you know, maybe the coaches either, so it's weird. It is weird. Um, you just got to kind of wait it out at this point. I think— the big, the big divisions we're going to look at, um, first off, AFC West. Who knows with that? You'd see the Chiefs beating the Raiders now. Um, and the Broncos are uncertain at quarterback. Now Broncos Trevor Simeon uncertain. doesn't look like the Trevor Simeon of earlier on. So You know, I, f- I feel like the Raiders would be the m- most consistent team out of that pack, but they're also very inconsistent at the same time for yeah, some reason. Yeah, like they were consistent until this week. Yeah. <laughs> Putting only up 10. Put, yeah, only putting up 10. And Pretty sloppy conditions, albeit. But still, you got you to gotta play they through that. They are another one of those teams that needs you know high 20s. They right. don't have the strongest defense. They need high 20s on offense. So. Mm-hmm. And you would expect that to be able to happen. You know, I feel like Derek Carr, is he's starting to find a rhythm, but he, uh, there's still some weekends where he just doesn't seem into it. Um, but you got players like Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree out there for you and plenty of good young wide receivers. He does spread the ball around a lot, which I like to see. He doesn't key on just one guy. No, and that's a good thing. You see that with Big Ben. You see that mm-hmm. with Tom. You see that with, with any good quarterback. Aaron, too. Rodgers, yeah. It's yeah. a very good point. Even Matt Ryan's been spreading it around with the talent of Julio. But... Yeah, actually, Matt Ryan has been playing amazingly this year he compared has. to last year. Yeah. Oh, last year, Number was... one fantasy player. Oof. Keeps looking good every week. And I think something with these teams in the bottom half of the top 10 who all lost this week, the NFL, you know, I wrote a lot of people off. I wrote off Marcus Mariota those first few weeks. And last week and this week, Mm -hmm. played great. You know, I kind of wrote off the Colts, and now maybe I'll write them off again. But (laughs) (laughs) um, the Texans... Another team that, you know, they started to slip and then Mm -hmm. they came back. I kind of wrote off Brock Osweiler like, you know what? There's a reason John Elway dropped him. But, you know, he had the comeback win last night. And then the Bengals, uh, don't know, maybe shouldn't write him off after this Uh, other stuff. And then the Lions, too, another one. The Lions are a weird team. They are very weird. But their offense, though, it's they're putting up points every week. Yeah, You know, Stafford has a lot of good weapons. 
Like and Golden Tate wanted to Golden show Tate, up this Marvin week. Jones. <laughs> Marvin Jones only had like two grabs this weekend, one touchdown. Yeah, and of course Golden Tate after nothing the whole year. <laughs> you know, an eight reception, you know, one sixty five and one T D day. The only uh, issue I really have with the Lions is their running game. They don't really have much. They lost Amir Abdullah. A lot of injuries, yes. Abdullah looked good earlier in the season. I was kind of excited. But... Looks, he's a great runner. He's got a lot of talent. But Yeah, when you have to pick up Justin Forsett, who got dropped from Baltimore, right. it's not a, good, not a good place to be. Yeah, and Theo Riddick out, too. That doesn't help at all. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah. So there's really a limited number of teams I can write off at this point. After, you know, writing off, I mean, I can write off the Browns. Oh, yeah. I can write off the Niners. Done that a while ago. Both of those teams. (laughs) And I can, I really feel, I can write off the Bears. But, you know, who else can, who else can you write off, Dan? Not much. Maybe the Colts? Panthers. Oh, Panthers. I can write off the Panthers. Why? I don't think they, they can make a comeback at this point. I mean, you get Jonathan Stewart back. You got to beat the Saints. You got to beat the Saints right there. They're your division. Is the defense just not the same this year? They, they, they're definitely not the same. So should have they kept Josh Norman or no? I think. How important know, is it to keep chemistry after a Super Bowl loss? Um, you know, well, without having Josh Norman, they are definitely getting torn up. They got 465 yards thrown uh, on them last weekend. Uh, you know, they saw players like Luke Keekley and stuff. You'd expect them to not be doing you'd expect them to be doing better at one and five, and especially in such kind of a lackluster conference where you got who is it? Saints, Tampa, Tampa Bay. Well, you got the Falcons now though. Oh, Falcons, right, right, right. But the Falcons, the Falcons, Falcons what they start last year, was it six and oh? Might have been six and oh. And then they lost. They, they did start off pretty well. Or maybe it was four and zero, and then they finished six and ten or something. Yeah, they but, did not end well. So I mean, it's hard to write off anyone at this point, other than you know, Browns and Forty ers <laughs> maybe. Right. But I just do not feel good about this Carolina Panthers team. Cam did not come out looking great. He picked he finished it up. really he well. Finished beautifully. It's like he, yeah, he put up so many numbers in the second half, but mm-hmm. the Jonathan first half, Stewart's coming back. Uh, off of an injury, looking a little better. But Kelvin hasn't. Re- Kelvin Benjamin looked good like in the waiting, first few games. But waiting, yeah. waiting, waiting. And you need him. You you do. He, he he looks pretty good. Like the first that first week against the Broncos, he had some amazing plays. He could have made a like a couple more plays to help them win that ball game. But yeah, you gotta. Cam Newton needs a little help, and yeah. he's not getting it. I'm just going to I'm going to keep the opposite of you though. I think we got to have patience with Carolina. So okay. All right. Well, one thing I think we can agree on Dan is that this season is only going to get more interesting as it continues in the NFL. Stay tuned. Uh, we'll be right back with JB and Nate uh, for all things MLB playoffs. This is the Sports Report on KCPR 91.3 FM. Welcome to another edition of the baseball segment of the KCBR Sports Report. I am Nate Edelman, here with my co-host JB Garcia. How you doing, Nate? So, last week we were just previewing things. We still didn't know what was happening. We still had all the division series going, and sitting right now, we are in the middle of the championship series, and we have a lot to cover. Yeah, a lot happened last week. Uh, The Dodgers ended up 
going to a game five with the Nationals winning that series. The uh, the Cubs took care of the Giants in game four. Uh, the biggest surprise, the Indians swept the Red Sox. Who saw that coming? Yeah, the biggest surprise, I think, is the Cleveland Indians just as a whole as a team. But uh, we will get to that as, um, yes, the Giants did come back. The Cubs, I'm sorry, did come back in game four. They were down, I believe, three runs in the ninth inning and scored um, four in the ninth and then one in the ninth inning, um, leaving all the San Francisco fans um, disappointed. But um, And the uh, Dodgers won in dramatic style in game five. They um, had a over an hour of seventh inning, and they brought in their closer for the seventh. They brought in... Many different pitchers. There was a lot of strategy involved for both teams, and Clayton Kershaw came off of short rest to close the game, last two batters, um, and he got the job done. And his playoff mantra or um, people saying that he is in clutch, is that is uh, that is a recent memory or distant memory, at least I think so. Yeah, Kershaw channeling his inner mad bum going into the ninth and there closing you go. that game out. That was uh, exciting to see as a Dodger fan. Um. Yeah, it's it's just now um, the Dodgers feel like they could beat anyone, and um, they right now they are tied one one playing the Cubs. They uh, um, played Friday night, and now they started the series Saturday night. And why, don't, why don't we just go through that game one? Uh, the Dodgers were down early, and were able to tie it up on an Agon single with bases loaded, and right. then Joe Blanton comes in. And Joe Joe Mr. Blanton Reliable comes in all season. Right, Joe Bland comes in, first pitch strike, second pitch, kind of in the same spot. Here comes the 0-2. Line drive into right, back at the wall, and he's gone! Grand slam, Montero! So that was a grand slam given up by Miguel Montero for the Cubs, and the Cubs went on to win that game. Um, And then game two had a different story. Yeah, game two was dominated by Clayton Kershaw. Perfect through four innings, gave up back-to-back hits, but settled down and was able to go all the way through the seventh, handing the ball over to Kenley Jansen for a six-out save. What was key in that was that Kershaw had very low pitch count heading to each inning. He got guys out early, so that um, enabled him to go the distance and um, prevented any bullpen mishap or anything like that. Like bullpen gave up the lead in Game Four, so that was. Um, that was the key to success, in my opinion. Yeah, Kershaw's been in on a whole nother level this postseason. He's gotten the ball four times in the last 10 days, uh, including that closing uh, appearance. And he's just been flat-out dominant. Like, there's, not, there's nothing more to say other than he's, he's finding his pitches, he's striking batters out, he's using his slider more. Uh, he's just looking good. So we'll see how many more games he starts in this NLCS against the Cubs, but if I were the Cubs, I'd be worried to see Kershaw again. Right now, Kershaw is expected to play Game 6, which leaves um, three games in L.A. Um, first uh, pitcher will be uh, Rich Hill, then Urias probably, and then um, Kenta Maeda. So if the Dodgers could win all three games, then they wouldn't have to worry about handing the ball to Kershaw in a pressure situation on the road again. But who knows? Maybe Kershaw will come in and save it again. Who knows? That's that's just kind of been the uh, story of the Dodgers season. Yeah. Dave Roberts has broken an MLB record with 606 pitching sa- changes all season, uh, shattering the previous record. I mean, they haven't had a set rotation since April, I think. Uh, no five pitchers have pitched 
back-to-back rotations uh, at all in the three months, uh, the last three months of the season for the Dodgers. So it's incredible what Dave Roberts has been able to do with their bullpen and manage uh, their pitchers, even with all those guys being on the disabled list. So he's doing the same thing in the in the playoffs, and it's working out. It's paying off for him. Yeah, it's really been paying off. Um, the rally in Game Five on in uh, Washington on Thursday that we're still talking about started with a Jock Peterson home run, um, solo home run to tie it up, and then a uh, Carlos Ruiz RBI single came off the bench. He's still being clutch off the bench, and then Justin Turner hitting a RBI triple to make the score four one, and then right afterwards. Um, it was the uh, it was Chris Heisey who quickly uh, made the game close by hitting a two run home run. So former Dodger Chris Heisey, former Dodger, he likes to uh, stab us in the back right there, but we'll see. Um, and then it was it's funny because the Dodgers have been winning all their games by one run. It's been it's it has it's always been scary and close the entire time. I'm waiting for the game. Maybe it, maybe it's uh maybe it's tomorrow where they um, just bust it open and win like five to two or something. Make me a little happier. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, I want to transition over to the ALCS a little bit. Where ha- where did the bats for Toronto go? Yes, they they come into uh, <laughs> Texas and they they make Texas look like they are a minor league team. They hit home runs. They are doing everything, and then they come to um, Cleveland and they haven't. They've only scored one run. They've but you know Cleveland won two to two to zero and then two to one. So it's been very low scoring game too. But it's kind of been a pitching series as opposed to, um, or a pitching matchup series as opposed to maybe the National League where it's more just like everything. And I don't know about you, but I think Francisco Lindor has been establishing himself as one of the best young shortstops in the game. Yes. Obviously, right behind Corey Seager, but I think he's up there with Corey Seager, uh, Carlos Correa, uh, Addison Russell. I think he's establishing his name up there. He had a clutch two-run home run. Uh Ended up being the only uh, runs of the game in Game Two against the Blue Jays, but I'm I'm impressed with this kid. He's doing well. And um, shout out to Andrew Miller, the closer for the Indians, who uh, was on the Yankees. People thought he would be traded, and then um, he is making him name himself in Cleveland for just doing his job and shutting the door and not letting any comebacks happen for um, the Blue Jays. I will admit when the Yankees traded. Miller to the Indians. I was very confused because at that point the Indians were still not at the top of the table and kind of trying to hope that pieces would fall together to put make a playoff run. And here they are sitting undefeated still. Uh, game three, I think uh, either today or tomorrow. Uh, but the Indians are looking good. I was kind of shocked. It'd be uh, kind of cool to see Cleveland win another title in the same year. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's it's funny because um, side note, LeBron James was that was at the uh, game two, and he is a Yankees fan. But you know, he decided to wear the Cleveland uh, Indians gear. So um, thanks, LeBron, for supporting your city. It's very funny to see the contrast. But I I understand. You know, you have to uh, support your hometown, especially because your your team won the championship. So support Cleveland as well. I'm looking at the uh, box scores for uh, the Blue Jays and the Indians for Game 2, and there was a combined seven hits between the two. So, once again, not a lot of action, not a lot of runs. It's just been a very grinded-out kind of um, postseason matchup, and it's just completely... I just find it so curious because it's just completely op- opposite of what 
for watching with the Dodgers and the Cubs. Yeah, and as much as how exciting the Dodgers and the Cubs are, I, I do enjoy a good pitching matchup. I, I, I am one of those few people who won't mind sitting three hours seeing a scoreless ball game because I know the pitchers are executing uh, what they want to do in their game plan, and they're they're making their pitches, and that's what's uh, beautiful about the game of baseball. You know, when things are going well, you're not gonna see ginormous scoring games. Where in football and basketball, you can put up, you know, in basketball 100 points if you're you know executing well, or in football, you're putting up 40 to 50 points. You know, in baseball, it's zero zero if both teams are executing. Yeah, and that's. Um... A lot of people say, like, oh, baseball's all about pitching. Pitching, pitching, pitching wins. And to a degree, they're right. But in the AL, it's been a lot more traditional than the NL um, with because of the DH and the fact that um, pitchers do hit in the NL, so there's a lot of more strategy involved. So it's just a... It's I've been appreciative more, and yes, I am. there is bias coming out because I am a Dodgers fan, but I do appreciate the um, NL just because there is more strategy and um, it makes the games more intense and more fun. But what about, um, why do you think, JB, why do you think that the um, uh, Blue Jays are just being shut out by, by these pitchers? It doesn't, um, makes much sense to me considering I thought that the uh, Texas pitchers were uh, were better in my opinion. Uh, to be honest, I think that the Indians are throwing their guys, and the guys are just been, you know, making their pitches. They've been a lot dirtier than I've seen before. Andrew Miller has just been incredible. He's been in on an incredible pace, striking batters, striking batters out left and right. You know, it was interesting news to he- see today that Jose Bautista, uh, obviously outfielder for the Blue Jays, complained that the umpires were rigging the ALCS so far, calling more strikes for the Indians pitchers rather than uh, being fair to both sides. What are your thoughts on the ALCS possibly, even though highly unlikely, you know, being rigged? Um, yeah, I, I did see the comments on Twitter. I love Twitter, especially uh, when it's baseball playoff season, just because I could see everyone's reaction. I just, this is typical Jose Batista stuff. Yes, he is talented, but, you know, he does have an ego to him. He uh, reminds me of a... Uh, little Odor, Batista, little fight. Um, he is just that kind of guy, and it's just it's just sad. Like, you could you could argue in the moment. You could just, you know, you could complain about a strike three call, but when you are in the ALCS and you are seriously complaining about the Empires, then you are not doing your job, and you should hit, you should hit the baseball. And it's just, it's just, I just, I, I don't want to say it's pathetic, but it's just, it's just kind of embarrassing to watch. I kind of, I kind of just laugh it off. Yeah, the Blue Jays are 10 for 63 in this ALCS with zero homers. Oh, boy. I think at that point, there's just no excuse. Like, you guys aren't just, you guys just aren't hitting. Uh, I mean, what are they going to come up with? The fa- deflated baseballs? Is that what it is? Yeah, it's it's d- deflate baseball gate or like what's in the bat or you know, what is Jose Batista going to say next? But hopefully, he doesn't say anything next. Here's a fun fact for you, JV. I'm looking at the uh, roster for the Cleveland Indians and. Their top paid player. Do you want to guess who it is? I'm going to go with Jason Kipnis or Carlos Santana. Those are both good guesses, and the answer is Mike Napoli with $16 million a year. Yes, Mike Napoli. Good he, old Mike Napoli. It's funny because they um, – yeah, Carlos Santana is only making $6 million, and yes, this is – 
we are talking about the Cleveland Indians in October because they are playing that well. I am still shocked, um, but we will keep going. Yes, um, Mike Napoli is making $16 million a year, and he is the most paid player. And it's just, it's just once again, I just like to notice the contrast between the Indians roster and their payroll versus everyone else. Like, the Dodgers have the biggest pockets in baseball, and they're finally here. The Cubs, they have money. They signed John Lester and Chapman. And then the Indians are just kind of squeaking by, and uh, Trevor Bauer, their pitcher, makes $1.9 million. It's just kind of funny to me. Yeah, and even though we're kind of not being fair to the Blue Jays, I, I do admit that I like the Blue Jays going winning a game or two, going back to the Rogers Center uh, in that environment and with their home crowd. I just uh, I think the fans are really going to empower their their hitters and try to you know step up and make some key plays in key situations. So I mean, having said you know the Indians squeaking by, you know making this incredible playoff run, just flat out incredible. Uh, I do think their luck is going to uh, run out at some point, and the uh, the the Blue Jays will make this a series. I yeah I, I definitely uh, agree with you. Um... It, what's funny is I didn't know this until the championship series started that the series goes two three two, which I think is huge, to um, comparing yeah. the two two one 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 one, um, because it is so difficult if you are the th- the team that has to play three game home games in a row to win three home games, but at the same time you're back for three home games you could just feel super comfortable. It's just an interesting contrast. It kind of plays in favor to the underdogs uh, of each series. You know, at first I would have thought that the Indians would have been the underdogs of this Toronto Blue Jays series, but here they are up 2-0 going on the road. And in the same way, it plays in favor to the Dodgers, you know, playing in that Wrigley wind, uh, you know, being able to tie the series. Now they can possibly come home and, uh, you know, end the series. Yeah, they could how, win in L.A. How likely that would that would be, I don't know. Uh, I'm praying with all all that I've got that it happens, but you know it it does play in favor of the road team in the first in, in the first uh, two games going back home and playing three, especially because it's baseball. If we were talking about uh, basketball, I would say that the two three two format favors the team with home home court, just because you know like okay we could win you know we could we will win one of the three games on the road and then we have home court advantage again if they blow it. But in baseball, home field really doesn't matter if you are the, um, really anyone. The uh, Cubs won on the road. They clinched it. The Nationals won on the road. They clinched it. The Indians won on the road. They swept the Red Sox. And well, the, and the Blue Jays swept at home, but they did win two on the road in Texas. So it is a, um, baseball playoffs are just, it's just wild. I just, no one would have predicted that the Cleveland Indians and the Toronto Blue Jays would be the two in the AL. Yeah, and... I just want to go back to uh, Andrew Miller really quick and how well this Indians pen has been pitching. Andrew Miller has faced 10, 12 batters in this ALCS and has ten strikeouts. Wow! And the other two, the other two at bat, one ground out and a and a single. Yeah, those are those are unbelievable numbers. And um... each six out appearances as well, like for a former closer. So Andrew Miller's been carrying this. Indians bullpen and carrying them into a strong ALCS. Yes, and um, the uh, Indians will face. I'm just checking their schedule right now. They are 
playing on Monday night um, in in Toronto. All start times are at actually tonight's start time Monday nights at five, but then they play, and I they play on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then they get a break, and then Friday. It's it's funny because maybe just because my team is still in it right now, I'm so more appreciative of the off day than ever before, just because. Um, the way that baseball is using bullpens, you know, there isn't a traditional seventh inning reliever, eighth inning reliever, ninth inning closer, and there's so many guys going at it at once. I just, it feels good at least um, for right now. And I know that the Dodgers kick off again tomorrow at the Ravine, but or Tuesday. Um, it's just, it's just funny to, it's just there's so many more variables than you could think of. Yeah, and. I think it plays, especially in the NL, where we've seen closers come in in the seventh inning, uh, you know, trying to get important outs. I think it plays into the creativity of these NL managers and the sense of urgency of how important these games are, no matter what what game it is, game one, game two. You know, these games are all important, and the managers realize it, the players realize it. They, It's the sense of urgency, and the fans appreciate it. The fans love seeing... You know, Kenley Jansen coming into the seventh in a game five against the Nationals to try to propel their team to uh, the NLCS. That was incredible to see as a viewer. And I'm sure all the other fans have appreciated it just as much as I have. Yeah, it just, whether you like the Dodgers, like the Giants, like the Cubs, you have to just smile and realize that these managers and players are giving it their all. And there's just so much that goes into each game. It's just so fun to watch, and it just you could just relax knowing that, or you could just maybe not relax, but you could just appreciate. I just you need to appreciate the fact that each team is going so hard all the time, and they really care. And for all the people that say, "Oh, baseball's slow" or "Baseball's boring," if you really take a look at these playoff games, I know that the seventh inning that we said before for the Dodgers and Nationals game five lasted over an hour and fifteen minutes, but it really didn't feel like that because of just the intensity and the strategy. And I was on my the edge of my seat the whole time. I was at one point, you know, kneeling right in front of the TV because I was so, you know, amped for this game, trying to get my Dodgers to the NLCS, doing whatever I could. I, even though I know I can't, I don't matter at all. But uh, yeah, I um, was actually in the car watching the end of the series because I had a buddy's birthday, and he's like, "Come on, Nate, head over." I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this game is taking too long," so I had to. You know, sit in the car with a couple friends and, you know, be quiet and be nice and polite while Kenley Jansen was up against R- Jason Worth and Bryce Harper and all these players that could just ruin the series for me as a Dodgers fan. But it's, um, JB, before we head off, when we talk next week, what are we going to say? What are we thinking? What's going on? Ah, uh, man, I'm hoping the, the World Series has started by then, if anything. Um, I know. I'm hoping the Dodgers can pull this off because that's those are my boys, uh, my boys in blue. I'm hoping uh, Kenta Maeda makes it past the fifth inning in in his start this week. Uh, I hope Urias gets the ball as well. Uh, so I hope the Dodgers, you know, pull through and make their playoff appearance. And I'm hoping the Indians do too. Uh, I've become a big fan of the Tribe during this postseason. Uh, how well they've played. I think they're just the under-the-radar team that no one really is really talking about, but they should be talking about the Cleveland Indians. The Cleveland Indians are 
you know, playing good baseball. They got hot at the right time. So hopefully next week we're previewing a Cleveland-Los Angeles World Series, and hopefully we'll be seeing the boys in blue hosting the Commissioner's Trophy at the end of that week. Yeah, my uh, I think that the Dodgers and Indians will both win in six. I do think that uh, my boys in blue will hopefully win all three at home, but knowing their track record, I think that they blow one of them, especially because Kenta Maeda has been very shaky. But we have, if you can't tune into all the baseball action that you can this weekend, it's really um, coming at a fast rate. Um, baseball doesn't like to take days off, so that's why um, I'm, I am appreciative of the days off that my Dodgers get just because of fly, flying and travel schedules. But um, that will do it for another uh, KCPR baseball segment. We'll be right back. This is the Sports Report. Thanks for tuning in. Right now on the line, we've got Cousin Berg. We're going to spend these last uh, this last segment here going over some lines and some hot takes. Thanks for coming on, Cousin Berg. Yeah, thanks for having me as always. So, so I'm new to this betting thing. Uh, thanks for introducing it to, to me. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with my hot take that I feel the best about Vikings laying down two to the Eagles, and I'm taking the Vikings. Wow, how you you really liking that Vikings D then, huh? Yeah, no, I like it. I like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Sam Sam keeps throwing the ball. Stephon Diggs hasn't had a big week in a couple weeks. They had the bye. I think. I think the biggest thing is Carson Wentz is starting to show that he's a rookie. Yeah. And I know all the experts were so hyped. Oh, you know, Carson, Carson called audibles up at the line at North Dakota state. He's so much more prepared than Jared Goff. Um, yeah. Now he's, now he's starting to show himself as a rookie. So, yeah, I feel like this is that game where he's going to throw four interceptions. Like every rookie is good for one of those. And I feel like this is the one. And especially with the Vikings D. So, yeah, yeah, let's exactly. throw it back to you. We're going to go three and three each. That's my first. What's What are you feeling best about? Well, okay. I mean, I'm trying to never, ever bet on a Thursday night game again because I just get killed every single week. Yeah, but I'm and... doing it again this week. The Bears are getting 10 points. That's what I, I saw, 10. was the last line I saw against the Packers. And I think that the Bears aren't very good, but the Packers are not good at all either. And I think Aaron Rodgers is something slipping with him and – I know for a fact next week I'm going to look back on this and it's going to be the game that Aaron Rodgers throws for 500 yards, but I'm just I'm feeling the uh, Bears in this game. So is it because Brian Hoyer's throwing the ball? Who's who's that new receiver on the Bears? I kind of like him. Uh, Cameron Meredith. Yeah, Cameron yeah, Meredith. He's got a little game. To and he's got a little size, him and Alshon together. Yeah, and the, my thing is more so it's not even that I'm picking the Bears, it's that I'm picking against the Packers. I just think the Packers aren't very good and they're overrated. And I also think that keep an eye out that if uh, the Packers lose this game, they got 10 days then till the next game. I think they might be uh, firing their coach, Mike McCarthy. Wow. A lot of hot takes. <laughs> yeah. That's what I So, think. so I was pretty conventional with the Vikings. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to completely flip that and be contrarian here. I know the San Diego Chargers almost found a way to lose last Thursday's game. And that yeah. would have been the end for Mike McCoy, but I'm taking the Chargers. I'm taking the points. They're at Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta's favored by five and a half. I'm taking the Chargers. I think the Chargers are a talented team. I think they've got a lot of offensive firepower. Um, am I crazy? No, I don't think you're crazy at all. I think, I mean, I think they're definitely, they're kind of the deal. They're, uh, 
they got a little team there, and they, uh, you know, they they try to lose games every single time, but they lose close. They're Mike Lombardi puts it, they're a great 58-minute team that for most of the games, they're in every single game, and they just somehow find a way every week to lose it. Yeah, and so this this spreads, you know, not within three, so I think I'm good to go. Yeah, I think I think it's definitely a game. That's a great pick. I like that pick a lot. All right, so here we go. What do you got? What do you got? Your second, your second pick. All right, I have Buffalo versus Miami. Buffalo's favored by two and a half points at Miami. Miami is not good at all. I know I, I don't like anybody. I'm never really happy with any team. But Ryan Tannehill is a bottom eight quarterback. They can't throw the ball. They have no defense. And I also think that when you look at last week, they beat the Steelers. But Okay, Big Ben had a torn meniscus in the second half. Yeah, exactly. And Jay Ajayi went off and had a huge game. But I think the uh, Bills have – they're uh, only letting up like 97 yards per week. And so I think that that's a game that they're kind of going to stifle that. And the, the Bills have been really good lately. They, I mean, they, they've won four in a row, I think. And they're 4-0 against the spread in their last four games. So I think I, they're, they're kind of looking good. They're trending upwards right now. That's the team that I – They totally I kind of are. They're pounding it. They're pounding the rock. Yeah. And can I just compliment your pronunciation of Jay Aji? I don't I, – I, uh. I totally botched that just now trying to compliment you, but can you just say that again for us? Jay Ajayi. Oh, beautiful. Okay, so I know I know we're super conflicted here. Don't agree at all. I'm a huge Steelers homer, but I think the Patriots are just going to annihilate him. The line I'm looking at is given favoring the Patriots by seven and a half, and and I have to I have to you know, take New England here. I think they're going to beat them by at least, at least 10. I think Gronk, how are they going to cover Gronk? They're going to have no offense. Landry Jones, not going to find anyone over the top. Sammy Coates is hurt. You're telling me Eli Rogers is going to come in there and play well in the slot. They're going to, they're going to cover double cover Antonio the whole game. You know, maybe they can get the running game going, but I didn't see the line playing as well as it did against the Jets last week. I like I like the Patriots to win by at least 10 in this game. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've seen, uh, when I saw that line open up, it opened up with the Steelers by one. They were favored. That was when Big Ben was probably going to still play. And now I've seen it up even as high Patriots by 10. And I just think ben, ben, Big Ben's a good quarterback, but I don't think he's an 11-point different quarterback. I think that Landry Jones is going to be serviceable. I think you have the best wide receiver in football. You have other guys that can make plays, and somehow the Steelers receivers all are like unbelievable out of nowhere. Yeah. You also have Le'Veon Bell, who's the best running back in football, and is just consistently finding ways to get open, either whether it's through the run game or through passing. He's always doing something. Yeah, I think there's opportunities if Sammy Coates plays, but he still has the lacerated yeah. finger. I mean, he should be ready to go. We'll see. And, yeah. and so you're taking, you're taking the Steelers then? Yep, I'm taking the Steelers. That's my third pick. I'm taking the Steelers. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll 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 tally it up and we'll keep score this season. Uh, this is our inaugural uh, bet in the lines here with cousin Berg, and we'll keep a tally and we'll see if uh, Matt K, your host, comes out on top when the season's over, or if cousin Berg, the veteran, takes it home this year. Uh, looking forward to it, cousin Berg. Should be a should be a battle. Yeah, it'll be a battle, and hopefully, you're better at picking lines than you are at playing fantasy. I mean, I hope so. Putting up, putting up sixty nine this week, and you could argue that's a good week for me. Yeah, that that was I was impressed by that showing sixty nine points. That's pretty good for you so far. Yeah, pretty much all Cam. The rest of my team's a mess. You know, Jordy, <laughs> Jamal, but no Spencer Ware. It's bad. Yeah, it, it's 
it's looking rough. You're definitely getting a spray tan. Okay, so Cousin Berg here, you know, he's a resident betting expert, but he's also a resident NBA insider. And Cousin Berg, I, I love football, but I'm walking around sometimes and I'm seeing preseason Golden State games and I'm getting so hyped. And I'm I just can't wait to be a Fairweather Golden State fan this year, even though I'm I'm supposed to be a Kings fan. I'm looking at the ESPN home screen right now and they're like predictions. Will Kings trade cousins? And and I'm just tired. My thing is, after ten years of not of being terrible, don't I have the right to Fairweather with a team? Not to say I'm actually a fan. I mean I just like can I enjoy how great Golden State is because my team for now it's been ten years. Can that be like a deadline? Or am I or am I a terrible person? Uh, I think both. I think you're not a terrible person, but I also think you're like the worst person ever because I appreciate good basketball and so I appreciate watching the Warriors play. That's why I've loved watching them the last couple of years. It's fun to watch play. But I can't root for them. I'm a Laker fan. I always root for the Lakers. I don't care how bad they are. You're a Kings fan. That's even worse rooting for the Warriors. You gotta stick with your Warriors. No, the worst as a Kings fan is so is is rooting for the Lakers. Yeah. Forever remember 2002. Never forget. Tim Donaghy, rip. Never forget. So, <laughs> so do you have any bold predictions this year? I mean, you predicted Warriors 74 and 8 last year, and you're only one game off. Any bold predictions for the NBA besides, you know, we heard, we got that gem from you last week. Joel Joel Embiid's gonna be amazing. You know, anything anything new for us? Uh, I, I I'm not confident in this pick, but my bold prediction for you is. I think that the Celtics will come out of the Eastern Conference and play the Warriors in the finals. Wow. Talk. Just talk. <laughs> I just think I think that the Cavs are getting older. I think that, especially looking at LeBron, how he's played 13 years. This is his 14th season. Larry Bird played 13 years total, and his back broke down after that. Mm. Granted, he played college, but 13 years in the NBA. LeBron's played like he's gone to the finals six straight years. His body has to slow down at some point. So I think, I don't know, I, I just could see this being the year that his body breaks down at some point. He's never had a major injury. The longest injury he's ever had was the two-week sabbatical he took off two years ago, and that was just to kind of get his head right. I just think this could be the year where if LeBron gets hurt, they're not going to be a good team. And so I think that it's it's definitely, and the, the Celtics are primed to make a good run. They, I mean, they have the best team in the NBA if they put a superstar on that team. And so I think they could definitely trade some of their assets. They have Brooklyn's pick next the next two years. You're telling me you're telling me if the Celtics had KD, they'd be better than the Warriors? Yep. They would I would have them no question as the favorites to win the title this year. So who's gonna win then? Warriors or Celtics? The Warriors. I mean you're talking about it. Watching those Warriors play, it's just it's pick your poison. I mean it was pick your poison before and get Harrison Barnes standing in the corner. Now you have Kevin Durant there, and the thing that I really like about this is that if you looked at last year in the finals, and again, even in the conference finals for the uh, Warriors against the Thunder, the people that really hurt the Warriors was when you put an athletic wing on Draymond Green. So if you put Kevin Durant or LeBron James on Draymond, then they could just switch and trap Steph, and that pick and roll wasn't as effective. The problem is now, with Kevin Durant, that person who would have guarded Draymond is going to have to guard Kevin Durant. You can't put LeBron on Dr- on Draymond anymore because LeBron's going to have to guard Durant. Mm. And so I think that's where you look at that, and it's going to be back to the old pick and roll where they're just killing people every single time. Yeah, someone just has to be open. Yeah, but I also think I don't think the Warriors are going to have as great of a season this year because I think they're going to rest. I think they're going to clinch it in early March and just sit their players the rest of the season. Mm. 
Well, thanks for the hot take, Cousinberg. We're out of time. Uh, this is the Sports Report. Stay tuned and listen in every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9. And make sure to check out our website, kcpr.org. We'll see you next week.